0: First things first, I acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands on which I live, work and record pillow-talking, the Bunurong and Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I recognise their connection to and care of this land and thank them for the space I share with my family. I pay my respects to Elders past, present and still to come and extend that respect to all First Nations people who are listening. Please keep in mind that pillow talking contains adult themes and sometimes strong language, so use your discretion for where and how you listen and who you listen with. Close the door and dim the lights. Let's talk. I'm Violeta Balhas and this is Season 2, Episode 15 of Pillow Talking, stories about the stories we tell each other when there's no one listening. In this episode... Suddenly Strangers. Hi again. Well, that was an abortive start to season two, wasn't it? (laughs) Want to know what delayed me? Yeah, I didn't think so. It's boring. So let's get straight into it, shall we? Beginning with the man in the big suit. Remain in Light by The Talking Heads was one of those albums that really did a number on me when I was in my early teens. It arrived in our home where it blew the tiles off the roof just like it blew my mind with my brother. It had been given to him by the only girlfriend he ever had that, full transparency, I didn't think was a complete and total idiot. She was the coolest and the album was solid vinyl proof. But he didn't appreciate either girlfriend or album, so when he dumped the former, I stole the latter. And I still have it today. Thank you, Nadine, wherever you may be. I was pretty unbearably precocious when I was a kid, so I understood a metaphor, but I was missing the life experience. And because of this, there were two lines in one particular song that used to make my blood run cold. If you're familiar with the skinny man in the bow tie and glasses, you'll remember him shouting the lines in desperation. And you may say to yourself, this is not my beautiful house. And you may say to yourself, this is not my beautiful wife. Yeah, that's the one. Because I was so young, I took these lines quite literally. The idea of someone suddenly realising they're alien to the place that should be most familiar and to the person that should be most intimate or the other way around filled me with a primal fear that I haven't ever been quite able to explain. But whether you take the lines literally like I did or assign them to some sort of dissociative experience because of stress or take them figuratively... As a man waking up from the trance of the daily capitalist grind, there's something discomforting about the person you know so well appearing a stranger. Maybe you don't have to imagine, and you know exactly what this is like. In my divorce support group, thankfully, many years ago now, everyone's story had its own peculiarities, but the plot was pretty much the same across the board, and one particular detail was true for hundreds of people who were there looking into their spouse or partner's eyes and not recognising the person behind them, as if an alien had taken their place, body snatcher style. For many of us, the difficulties of uncoupling notwithstanding, that was by far the most traumatic thing. Unless that had been them all along and we'd never realised it, did that make us the aliens? Interesting, right? But I guess it's normal to question yourself in a situation where you're suddenly strangers. Pop psychology talks a lot about the self in relationships. Modern Western culture abounds in advice to truly know yourself before you embark on a relationship, to be careful about losing yourself in a relationship, and or to be with the person who will allow you to find yourself. Whether this advice is right or wrong, one thing is for sure. Identity and relationships are inextricably entwined. These four stories feature those times when the other became a stranger, disappearing in the flesh or emotionally or revealing themselves in a whole new way, sometimes leaving questions and always changing things so they can never be the same. These conversations all happened in the intimacy of the bedroom. Shh, let's listen. Tell me again, you whisper softly, about the songbird. The words rise out of the darkness of our shared bedroom, and I know if I turn around, I'll find you staring at me. Again? I complain into the pillow. Do I have to? Tell me again, you tenderly insist. I want to hear about the songbird. I shift under the covers, turning slowly until I'm lying on my back, staring up at the ceiling. Okay, I sigh, vaguely aware of something stirring inside me. We are all searching for the same thing, I begin. Happiness. You declare like a proud schoolchild. Yes, call it that if you wish. Happiness, love, contentment. So where can it be found? Where it lives? On the inside, inside yourself, waiting to be discovered. So when something from the outside touches you and seems to bring you happiness, you ask playfully, something like a songbird? You must learn to let it sing and be grateful for what you're given. As soon as you try to capture it or own it or demand more it's like catching the songbird in your hand how easily you can squeeze the life from a songbird when you try to capture its song how sad you say your voice filling with regret to kill the very thing you love by holding it too tightly yes it is sad i agree very sad The moral of the story is to look to yourself for your happiness, not to others, which means looking to yourself and yourself alone for whatever love you need. Learn that, or spend the rest of your day squeezing the life from each songbird that flies into your world. But tell me again, you whisper, about the songbird. Again? I reply confused. I just told you. I couldn't hear, you sadly insist. I was too far away. Too far away? As questions begin to rise, something shifts in my understanding. A veil has been lifted and suddenly I am no longer confused. I lift my head from the pillow, awake enough now to remember where I am and to recall with a familiar ache that you no longer lie here beside me in our bed. Your words are not real. I must now admit to myself, they are merely echoes in the mind calling out in love's familiar voice. And though it may be the middle of the night, it is also weeks since you left, flew away from this bedroom and this life of ours. There is a part of me that wants to hold on to the things that bring me happiness to hold them in my hands so they won't fly away. But there's also a part of me that knows you have to free all songbirds and let them fly away, if fly away they must. This is the part of me I value most, the part that needs more room to grow, the part that will one day discover that the love I've been seeking on the outside has been waiting for me all along on the inside. But until that day... Until I come to know that love as well as I know this hollow ache in my chest, I will lie here each night listening for your song, only to hear a familiar voice softly calling, Tell me again about the songbird. Met Zez in 2005. We wrote the O-level examination in the same school. It was love at first sight or so I thought. We had a beautiful love story and we were the best couple in the eyes of everyone who knew about us. Matching outfits, being together all the time, romantic dates and beautiful bedtimes. We got married in 2009 and lived happily together without money. We worked hard to make ends meet and skipped meals to make sure our first child was well-fed then. Our best time was bedtime. We discussed everything that happened in the course of the day. We giggled, smiled, and laughed out loud sometimes. We were inseparable, or so it seemed. One night, we were on the bed talking when his phone rang. It was our next-door neighbour calling. We live in a twin-flat bungalow. He was reluctant to pick up the call. I was shocked. I couldn't believe what just happened. Is my husband dating my neighbour whose husband left on the basis of catching her cheating on him? Wow, I said, shaking. I was shocked to the bones, asking myself, is this happening? I managed to calm myself down. He asked me what was wrong with me and I asked him why he didn't pick up the call. He said he did not feel like it. Moreover, it was too late to attend to such calls. Deep inside me, I knew something was wrong. I tried to calm myself down. I held my tears and I was strong enough that night. I closed my eyes and pretended to be asleep until morning. Three days later, I came home without calling my husband and behold, I met my husband and my neighbour together in my apartment behind locked doors. I had to wait for the door to be opened. The situation was tense and it was their turn to shake. I just went inside the room and shut the door behind me. This was the neighbour I gave a job in our organisation to. This is the husband I gave an equity of 50% in my organisation to. We became strangers ever since. I have not decided on what to do. I have four children with him. My parents and I don't talk because of him. He started complaining about everything that I do. He nags and snaps at me for no reason. He's a complete stranger. I love you. I love you too. No, you don't. You have hose. What? He stops moving completely. He rolls off me, sheepishly, but keeps his arms around me. This is the opposite of what I expected. Rashad and I have known each other since middle school theatre. I was a chubby improv comedian full of tumbler memes and a raised hand that only an English teacher could love. He was a skinny class clown, a fellow comedian who liked to make English teachers cry. He was from Texas and I was from Jersey. We were both in theatre camps, me as a writer and him as an actor. I was a year older but he was more successful. He had won camp and theatre awards since he was 12 years old. I wouldn't know what to do with the world handed to me on a silver platter like that. My brain likes to remind me I don't know what I would do because I never auditioned for a musical. I had a fear of rejection. When Shad did a college tour for my university, even though I was a freshman, I was part of the group meant to show him around. He auditioned for a lot of the same clubs as me and got in. For me, this was someone I always saw from afar, on a screen or across a room. For me, it was infatuation at first sight, maybe love at second sight. The day he left the university for NY, he left me a note for finals telling me to now go do my thing. Something about that note led me to believe that he would end up being my classmate or someone I would know for a very long time. And in a way, I wasn't wrong. Five years later, we were in my basement bedroom in New York City. It was as tiny as a shoebox, but it was mine. He had helped me move in. Then he went on the train and I'd not seen him since. I found out later that the day after I left the state of our university, he changed his work schedule so he could see Selena, his work wife. But that day, he had been ten minutes away from my house at a bar with his friends. Mindlessly and probably out of instinct, he drunkenly texted me that he wanted to see me. I sent him his Uber chariot, which he missed twice. The third time I call this Uber, I swear, is the last time but some part of me knows that there's a version of myself calling him ten, twenty, thirty Ubers to get to be in the spot I was in that day, if that's what it took. Are you sure you want to do this? Passes through my lips the moment he's in my living room. I'm drunk, but he's drunker. That is for white people, he says, somehow confirming how drunk he is to me. I hesitated because his body was way too familiar, so I knew something was bristling underneath. Shad was my classmate, my scene partner, my best friend at one point, my smoking buddy, my wingman, my team of one and more. We won a lot of theatre awards together, especially the year he was a college freshman and I was a sophomore. There's no better feeling than winning something you cared about and worked hard for with your best friend. There was a time I told him that if he ever needed to bury a body, it would be a secret I kept to my dying day. The first week at school he had cheated on someone who thought they were exclusive and I had said nothing. After our performance obligations were over, we'd decided to ruin everything and be best friends with benefits the first chance we got. There was too much dip on our chip and little did I know there would be love, actual genuine love. I came to college as a virgin. I was just wanting to fill my picture. Our fights would start with his assumption that I was in love with him and wanted him to be my boyfriend, while also telling me that if Congress passed a law and said people had to be married, I would be his wife of choice. That was my fate in his marry kill. Gun to his head, he would let me live out of the kindness of his heart. In my mind, the day the pandemic started had to be a sigh of relief for him, where he thought he would never have to see my face. The day I moved, he must have been overjoyed. But here, the drunk version of a man I loved told me that he loved me, without invitation or prompting. Not only that, but telling me I couldn't love him because of the attention I got from other men, something I would have given up for just a fraction of his time. We had kissed, barely fallen on the bed when he brought up the pet names, calling me baby and asking me if I knew that I was his boo, I did. Quiet as it was kept, and trust me, it was kept quiet, the man was romantic with me. It embarrassed him then and embarrasses him now. I love you, he says. I bristle. My body feels a stone fall from my throat to my stomach. I I love you too. I manage to breathe out. He clocks my indecisiveness instantly. No, you don't. He mutters into my neck. You have hose. What? I say, baffled and choking on the audacity. For years, through actual boyfriends and other friends with benefits, we have fought day in and day out about how much exactly we cared for each other. If this was not happening in my house, in my room, I would not have believed the man on the bed next to me. Once he told me that we stopped being friends the day that we kissed. Once he told me that I was whacked because I confessed that I kissed someone in the frat I knew he wanted to join, even though I was the one who told him before he could find out in a group chat. Once he told me that he would not have offered me to another man if he saw me as important.' Once he told me that I needed to stick to not talking to him because he was dead ass going to stick to not talking to me. Each time he apologised. Each time I forgave him and accepted him for who he was. Every single time. And ten years of knowing him later, he was there with his head laid on the Tweety Bird pillow on my small bed, one where he stayed just as long as it took the Uber to get him back home. He ended up staying for hours, and we talked as two hearts. Months later, I invited him to my birthday party. We'd not seen each other since that May night, and I was born in September. He agreed. Excited, I drank some mushroom tea from a fellow hippie friend and waited. Hours before it wasn't my birthday anymore, he FaceTimed me. I'll never forget the first thing I saw. Selena. His work wife. Long black hair, glasses, fair skin, arm wrapped around him. That's how he liked it. I told him she was his type. He drunkenly said happy birthday. That hurt, I texted him. Why, lol, was the response. If I know, I typed back, empty. Okay he said. Then he says he didn't know how he got the phone. He didn't know that I could see her. He didn't know if he meant it when he said that he loved me. He said he was drunk and sorry. Devastated, I forgave and accepted him for who he was immediately. I don't know if there's any other way that I can be sane without doing so. Sometimes I have this desire to witness what I've partially built a man in a happy, secure, exclusive relationship with a woman he thinks he's going to be loyal to. I understand that I can't bear witness when I believe there's room for us to be together, even still, because it's impossible for me to limit myself. You would think it would hurt me to see him with someone else because he keeps saying sorry because the dynamic was bad. I accepted his apology but refused to issue my own. If he wanted to say I was bad for him, OK, but I wouldn't. I told him that i forgive him so he could start to forgive himself and the only thing I asked of him was to take back what he said that night in my bed. He responded saying he loves me, will always love me and has always loved me. We got so many things done together and we're friends. Come on now, he said after restating that he loved me. We still haven't seen each other since that day. It's funny because he first said he liked me in person, said he loved me in person, and now he cannot bear to look at or talk to me. I realise I'm forever doomed to be trapped here, searching for his right back. (music) I'd caught my husband standing on the terrace moments earlier, the morning sun catching and holding glints of wiry grey tangled in the remaining rust of his hair. He had been cupping his cigarette, turning his head towards the street, blowing a steady stream of broken promise at the corner of his mouth. The bedroom is a mess of boxes punctuated with mismatched dresses. We should unpack the bedroom today. He smooths the bristle of moustache with thumb and forefinger, releasing invisible capsules of cigarette smoke into the air. My cheeks turn inside themselves like the flesh of rotting fruit. We can do that, he says, rubbing his hands together until the friction creates thin, black dustings he shakes onto the comforter. My voice lurches but is eclipsed by sirens piercing the Prospect Expressway. My head snaps towards the window where I notice his jeans strewn across a box. I see him sitting on the corner of the bed, threading leg through pant leg, only in the dark. Did you go somewhere in the middle of the night? Yes. I woke up to fire trucks under the window. When I went to see what was going on, everyone on our floor was in the hallway. Evidently, there was a gas leak in 1P, that crazy old man's apartment. The one who wouldn't let me out of the elevator when he got off on our floor? He closed the door on me? Really? Yes, really. You slept right through the whole thing. That's not good. I'd like to think if the building were about to explode, you would have woken me up. His eyes slide sideways. He takes a sip of coffee and gets out of bed. In the three seconds it takes for a building to explode, I hear the terrace door open and close. It takes only another two seconds for the smell of cigarette smoke to meander through the bedroom window I had cracked open the night before. Pillow Talking is produced, narrated and edited by me, Violeta Balhas, from Stories by You, the listeners and Pillow Talkers. Music is by Radovan Jekic. This episode's stories were The Songbird and Me, a bedtime love story by Paul Stephen Stone, When Good Neighbours Become More Than Good Friends by Brilliant, You Have Hose" by Anise Jeremiah and Alarm by Evelyn F. Katz, and maybe, just maybe, you heard a blackbird singing its little heart out while I was reading that first story about the songbird and me. Unbelievable! Special thanks in this episode goes to my secret producers, Shane and Mark Teemaker. Like the skinny man in the bow tie and glasses told me, I might. I did find myself in a beautiful house and I asked myself, well, why aren't my recordings as good as they used to be? If you've been following Pillow Talking for a while, you'll know that Shane built a beautiful recording booth for me in the old house that gave the exact intimate sound I was looking for, but when we moved here, the setup wasn't the same, obviously. That, combined with some equipment woes, has meant that the quality of the previous two episodes hasn't been the same either but Shane has taken time over the last little while to make me another recording booth. Not quite like that one, but I love it. And the sound, well, hopefully you can hear for yourself. For his part, Mark has been advising me and educating me on the technical side of things. Friends, Mark has the best ear of anyone I know and believe me, that is a compliment of the highest order from me he also helped me out with ideas for the new booth shane and mark you are both brilliant thank you so much if you've enjoyed these stories please consider supporting pillow talking it really helps me to continue bringing you these stories which to me are true points of connection in an increasingly divided and sometimes lonely world The simplest and still best way to support pillow talking is to let people know about it, whether you recommend it to someone one-on-one or en masse on your social media, and of course, rating and reviewing on your podcasting platform of choice. Those little stars and a couple of sentences make a massive difference. If you haven't done it yet, please, 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 that would be so great. You can also support Pillow Talking by paying for a story or becoming a member and contributing a little each month. All donations go directly towards paying the Pillow Talkers who share their stories. And supporting is easy. Just go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash pillow talking. There's some great perks there, including exclusive content. The other way to support Pillow Talking is by submitting a story of your own. You can submit a story to any theme, any time, or to one of the upcoming themes. You can check out themes and send in your story at PillowTalkingProject.com under the Share Your Story tab. We pay for stories via PayPal, and if you're not fussed about payment, you can pay it forward or choose to be paid with a gift voucher for my course of choice, Kiva. While you're there, you can also check out the show notes to pick up bits and pieces mentioned in the episode and find out about the Pillow Talkers who sent their stories in. And there's also a transcript of each episode if you like to read as well as listen. And that's it for tonight. On the next episode of Pillow Talking, who do you think you are? More on the theme of identity and relationships and I don't know if I should say this because I know I'm meant to at least pretend all the stories I receive are my favourites, but the kickoff story of this episode is one of my favourites so far, if not the favourite, so please join me. I hope you'll love it as much as I do. Until then, please take care of yourselves and each other.